Julie, our discussion today is going to give our listeners a lot of factors to consider when they're thinking about how to navigate their supply chains going forward. Margie, I agree. And I'm really looking forward to the discussion around our political landscape and some of the changes that we're seeing going on right now where everything still isn't decided, but then also the focus on bringing that down to the TCJA and also to U.S. multinationals and considerations that they need to make with respect to their supply chains. So with that, Margie, let's talk tax. listening to Tap into Tax, PwC's podcast series covering current regulatory, legislative, and technology hot topics through the lens of our tax technical leaders, as well as process and technology subject matter specialists. This podcast features discussions with some of our leading minds around tax, trade, and domestic policy. Stay tuned to our regular updates and subscribe to our series to get notified as new episodes are published. Welcome listeners, this is Margie Dungeshaw and I'm PwC's U.S. Tax Reporting and Strategy Leader. As always, today I'm joined by Julie Allen, PwC's National Tax Services Leader. On this episode of Tap into Tax, we are joined by Pat Brown, co-policy leader of PwC's Washington National Tax Services Practice, as well as David Lewis, managing director in PwC's Tax Policy Services Practice. Pat and David are here today to discuss important supply chain considerations for businesses after the 2020 elections, when they finally wrap up, and when we finally have the results. So Pat and David, thank you for joining us today, and welcome to Tap into Tax. Thanks, Julie and Margie. I'm happy to be here with you today. Good to be with you guys. Thanks. Great to have both of you. And so to begin, Pat, do you mind just quickly sharing where we stand with regard to the 2020 election results? Sure, Julie. So as of today, it certainly appears likely that former Vice President Biden will become the next president. Now, we know there are still factors in flux. We've got recounts potentially ongoing. We've got some possibilities for ongoing litigation regarding the election. But at the moment, it appears that former Vice President Biden has won the race. We also know Democrats are going to retain control of the House of Representatives, although their majority is narrower than it was. So Republicans have picked up some seats in the House. We don't yet know, as we sit here today, precisely how many, but we do know that there's been a net pickup of seats for the Republicans. Now, that leaves the Senate, and it certainly appears that Republicans may retain control of the Senate, but we're going to have to wait until early January to find that out. And the reason we're going to have to wait is because there are two Senate races in Georgia. Both of those are going to require a runoff election because no candidate in either race received over 50% of the vote. So under Georgia law, both of those Senate races will go to a runoff. Now, while both of those seats are currently held by Republicans, so where we sit here today after the November elections with everything that we have, we've got 50 Republicans and 48 Democrats with those two seats outstanding. So those two seats are obviously going to be really important. If Democrats manage to win both of Georgia's runoff races, the Senate would be tied 50-50, 50 Republicans, 50 Democrats, and that would make Vice President Kamala Harris the tie-breaking vote. Without a Democratic Senate, that is to say, if Republicans can retain one or both of those seats, any major legislative changes to the tax code are fairly unlikely, especially as these changes might relate to things like increasing corporate tax rates. We would need to find a bipartisan consensus in order to move forward with any tax legislation. And frankly, rate increases or rate cuts have not, at least in recent years, been among those areas where you find bipartisan consensus. Now, 
a new administration under uh, Vice President Biden, President-elect, then President Biden, would mean new uh, Treasury Department leadership. This could also yield regulatory changes, and this could have implications for businesses. The other thing to mention, I know we've covered a lot, but you know, the presidency, of course, is a four-year term. Congress goes in two-year election cycles. And so companies should be mindful that whatever balance of power we have in January of 2021, that could shift in January of 2023, depending on the outcome of the 2022 midterms. Thanks, Pat. That is a great overview. And I think you really laid the landscape for those who are completely interested in political science and policy. This is a perfect time to see how all of that works and how it ties together. So thank you for that overview. And so let me take it a little further, Pat. Based on what we know now, where should companies be looking for guidance regarding potential supply chain proposals and what should they be analyzing? Yeah, Julie. So a great place to start, of course, as we're coming out of the presidential election is, you know, the presumptive president-elect, Vice President Biden, his campaign proposal. Although obviously, as we've just discussed, due to the uncertain nature of the Senate, these proposals are unlikely to move forward unless we end up with those two Georgia runoff elections, both going to the Democrats. So that's an important caveat. But with that important caveat, let's take a look at some of those proposals as they relate to supply chains. And, you know, a lot of times when we talk about supply chains, and I know Dave will have some things to say on this, we talk about kind of carrot and stick type approaches. So incentives for doing things, more things in the United States and disincentives for doing things outside the United States. And as we talk about changes that might be made, one of the big and one of the certainly one of the most talked about potential changes from President-elect Biden's proposals were raising the corporate rate to 28%, right? That was probably the thing that got talked about more than anything else. Now, that just seems really, really unlikely, if not impossible, if the Senate is in Republican hands. So we'll have to you know, talk about that maybe potentially on future podcasts in terms of how we think that might shake out. But you know, that's not a bad place to start in talking about this stuff is, will the corporate rate change? And what would be the conditions that would cause a corporate rate change to be more likely versus less likely? We also know that President-elect Biden has looked at things in the international area. So the guilty provisions, for example, right? This was a major change in the TCJA. Currently, active foreign income earned by the foreign affiliates of U.S. companies taxed under the guilty regime at a 10.5% rate. Vice President Biden talked about raising that rate, doubling the rate to 21%. Also proposing to eliminate the exemption for what's called QBI, so the routine return on foreign assets. That's exempt under the TCJA as enacted. Vice President Biden talked about eliminating that exemption. Vice President Biden also talked about moving to a per country test for guilty as opposed to the overall kind of blended approach that guilty takes currently, where all countries are sort of blended together as one. And lastly, Vice President Biden talked about a 15% minimum tax on book income. So just to finish kind of where we started, Julie, on this, you know, all of these things would require congressional action. And all of these things are very unlikely to happen if the Senate remains in Republican hands, which, again, we'll know more in January. Pat, let me add a couple things to that. In addition to these rate proposals, President-elect Biden has also proposed a 10% onshoring penalty surtax on profits of any production by a U.S. company overseas for sales back into the United States. Kind of a round-trip rule on steroids to say 
The surtax would also apply to call centers or services by a U.S. company located overseas, but serving the U.S. if the jobs could have been located in the United States. So it's worth noting that this proposal would likely be an update of subpart F and therefore only apply to uh, U.S. multinationals. In addition, President-elect Biden has proposed to deny all deductions and expensing write-offs for offshoring jobs or productions that could plausibly have been offered to U.S. workers or done in the United States. And then finally, President-elect Biden has suggested that he will implement strong anti-inversion regulations and penalties as part of his overall proposals. You know, Pat and David, I think the points you note here are very interesting. First, starting with that congressional action and the need for that and really, you know, highlighting that as a caveat, but also guilty and QBI and then noting the surtax and this offshoring penalty and the deductions and the expensing. There's so much for companies with supply chains and with those supply chain considerations to really take into account. And Pat, you mentioned that many of these proposals would fall under the stick category when thinking of the carrot and the stick. But David, I want to come back to you you with a follow-up question. Are there any carrot proposals from President-elect Biden? Great question, Julie. There are some carrots or incentives that President-elect Biden has proposed on the campaign trail. First, he proposed to establish new incentives for companies to make critical products in the United States. One example is this proposed manufacturing tax credit to retool and revitalize, which would promote revitalizing, renovating, and modernizing existing or recently closed down facilities. This is proposed to be a 10% advanceable credit aimed at reshoring job-creating production to the United States. President-elect Biden has also proposed a clean energy component of his jobs and recovery plan, proposing to expand and extend tax credit that will turbocharge growth in American manufacturing. And finally, President-elect Biden has proposed to pursue tax code changes that will likely seek to discourage pharmaceutical production outside the United States. Now, it's worth noting that these proposals, particularly onshoring by reversing TCJA provisions, in my opinion, will have likely little impact given the significantly greater costs to produce low-margin, usually generic drugs in the United States. Again, as is the theme throughout many of these proposals, the key will be to watch negotiations in the Senate to see which, if any, of these proposals could be enacted into law. There will be more of a natural lean towards bipartisanship for the carrot proposals, as Republicans have also intimated that they are in favor of measures to encourage investment in the United States and for the creation of U.S. jobs. Thank you, David. You've given us a lot to think about as we're going through all the potential sticks that might be out there and all the potential carrot proposals. The calculus around this can get pretty mind-bending. So with that, Pat, can you discuss what it will take to truly move the dial for companies under either approach? Yeah, really great question, Margie. I think, you know, when we talk about what is likely to induce companies to do more in the United States, obviously, you know, tax increases are not necessarily moving in that direction. So when you talk about sticks, that's not necessarily going to encourage companies to do more in the United States. But, you know, the carrot side is equally challenging for a pretty straightforward reason that I don't think policymakers often understand or fully understand. And that is companies really need to make, you know, determinations about how long they expect investment in incentives are actually going to be around. So stability is really important here. How long will FDII be around? 
How long will the corporate tax rate be at its current level? Will it really go up to 28%? These kinds of questions are the enemy of businesses making long-term planning decisions. When you don't know the answer to these questions, frankly, it has its own disincentive, in fact, on making investment decisions that could benefit the United States. So when you talk about reconfiguring a supply chain, making changes to a supply chain, a fleeting tax incentive is really not going to move the needle. It's not going to move the dial for companies. Now, we're talking a lot of times about capital investment that could have a 10 to 15-year payback. You have to model these things out. You have to think about long-term implications. How reliable do you think these incentives or programs are going to be in the future? Many jurisdictions now are showing signs that they may need additional tax revenue, not less. So how do I factor that in? And I know that's stuff that both Dave and I have dealt with earlier in our careers, this idea of modeling and looking over the long term and trying to make an assessment of how much can you count on the incentives or the rate structure even that's in place in a current country right now. That's a lot to think through. Hey, David, would you agree? Generally, yes. And I'd like to reinforce the sentiment that in the face of uncertainty, the carrot approach needs to be front loaded. For example, looking to the TCJA, the act did not do much to move the dial for companies in terms of large structural changes. Also relevant is that a lot of tax changes will fall heaviest on U.S. headquartered multinationals. The U.S. will reach to tax things within their jurisdictions under a stick approach. So it's worth noting that we're only disadvantaging U.S. headquartered multinational corporations under this approach. This is just another consideration for policymakers and a very difficult prospect to weigh. There are a lot of things to consider here. David, thanks for your insight on that with respect to TCJA and the U.S. headquartered multinationals. Pat, I'm going to come back to you again. Can you touch on the international developments surrounding supply chains? Sure, thanks. Look, I I think it's interesting. We've been talking now for a few minutes about supply chains, and obviously, understandably, we focus on the United States given the U.S. elections and so many of the U.S. proposals. But when you talk about a company and its supply chain, you're almost by definition talking about a global supply chain, an international supply chain. So you really need to think, and companies certainly need to think, about developments outside the United States. And as we think about developments outside the United States, it's very natural and important, I think, to start with the OECD's recent project, you know, BEPS 2.0, a lot of people have called it. And I think what we're seeing playing out in that project is pretty clearly a tension between some high tax countries that are trying to protect their revenue base, if you will, preventing capital flight. So you can think there about, you know, some of the developed countries in Europe, for example, contrasting that with some of the smaller developing countries trying to become more competitive, trying to attract inbound capital investment. And obviously, one of the ways to do that is through tax incentives. And so we see this really kind of push-pull between some of the larger developed economies trying to prevent what I guess I'll call tax competition and some of the smaller developing countries who are eager to maintain tax competition as a means of attracting inbound investment. So the OECD is looking at this tension and it's trying to figure out a way to come to an agreement on this while considering all of these factors. For companies, the international landscape is also uncertain and you need to think about the international landscape before you contemplate any of these large-scale supply chain changes. But I don't know, Dave, what are your thoughts around that? Well, absolutely, Pat. You know, we've often heard the saying, capital goes where it's welcomed and stays where it's nurtured. And I hear that quite frequently. And I believe that is the case. At the moment, despite trade tensions, the central bank in China has worked to increase liquidity and get cash out into the market. 
in uh, complex financing calculus, liquidity is there. However, taxpayers must also plan for how they'll get that capital repatriated. In addition, as you know, Pat, I have a long experience dealing with Puerto Rico frequently, especially in my prior position. But in my view, the island must restore stability. It must address political, economic, and tax reliability and stability to ensure companies will invest in that environment versus more traditional and stable countries, for example, Ireland. Very interesting, David. Now, are there any other factors considered by businesses when making supply chain location and sourcing decisions? Well, certainly. Obviously, cost. In low-margin businesses, cost is a huge factor. In addition, in high-margin businesses, tax policy, workforce, environmental factors, and duplication of capacity are major considerations for these companies. Interesting. So as we near the close of this discussion, what are each of your key takeaways for our listeners? So I'll jump in there, Margie. I think, you know, for me, the key takeaway is we are in extremely dynamic and uncertain times. And I know we all feel that for businesses, you know, C-suites, tax professionals, you really need to stay on top of developments political developments domestically, political developments internationally. We know President-elect Biden's proposals are not likely to pass muster in a Republican Senate, but we don't even know the the control of the Senate. We're not going to know that for several weeks. We know also that, you know, if there is a Republican Senate, there may very well be negotiations to try and reach a bipartisan consensus on what we want to do. So going back to that conversation around carrots and sticks, might there be changes to tax incentives, even under a Republican-controlled Senate? So I think it's really a watch this space kind of sentiment that I would emphasize. And my key takeaway is that business needs to think long-term about the supply chains when pondering changes such as what Pat mentioned. Something that may appear attractive today may not be worth the risks tomorrow. And so thinking holistically is as important as being fiscally responsible. Excellent. Thank you very much. These are great takeaways for our audience. So we will continue to share perspectives on the economic outlook election results, and tax policy decisions in the coming weeks. So thank you to Pat, David, and Julie for all of your time today. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. We look forward to speaking with you soon. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.